HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Nikki McClure. And we're actually going to start today's show by a little reading of To Market to Market, put out by Abrams, books for young readers. So, And it's not just a children's book. It's, it's, it's for all people uh, um, aware and concerned about where their food comes from and a specific lifestyle about supporting sustainable agriculture. Um, so I'm just going to read you a quick selection. To Market to Market by Nikki McClure. Today is market day. The farmers load their trucks with carrots and squashes, pears and mushrooms, fennel and chard. We find our basket and we make a list of the food we need. The bakers warm their hands as they unload cookies and cakes, breads and scones. We put on our coats and scarves and walk and run and race down the hill. Today is market day. We hear the bell ringing. Everyone is gathering. The whole town is here. I should have you read it. You're, you're uh, here in New York yeah. reading all your books. But <laughs> I, I wanted to give you a quick little break. Thanks. Um, it's a tremendous book. Thank you. You know, both in its prose, but especially in its pictures. Um, you are a paper cut artist. Can, can you explain a little bit of what that definition is? Sure. Um, what I do to make my images is I take a piece of black paper and I draw on it with a pencil, just a normal pencil, 
And then I take an X-Acto knife, the number 11 Gripster model, <laughs> if you're Are you there. sponsored? Yeah. <laughs> I should be. I really should be. Yeah. Though, um, the exact is my only my second knife I've ever had in the 15 years I've been doing this. Wow. So they yeah. make quality products, the Exacto yeah. Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> the ad will run at the break. And uh, then I start cutting with um, the knife. And first, I usually tackle the thing I'm scared of the most. Because then if I mess it up, then I got that out of the way. Yeah. And I can just continue on with the picture. <laughs> well, are those the larger uh, details or the more intricate things? The more intricate. Mostly people's faces yeah. or hands. Um, faces because, you know, when we make a nose wrong as an artist, you know, people recognize that right away. Oh, that's not that person. Um, so in some ways, for a long time, I mainly did a lot of birds. Because <laughs> if you make a bird's beak wrong, only that robin's mother would know that that yeah. is not a robin. Yeah, <laughs> or even a thrush. A hun- a hundred angry bird letters. Yes, so. yes, I did. You know, <laughs> luckily, they they only tweet. Yeah, um, and so um, so the face will usually come first, and you know, with it, I don't have a chance to erase because I'm drawing with a knife, basically. So people always ask me, like, what happens if you make a mistake? And I just tell them that's why I'm doing it this way. Yeah. Is for those mistakes because those pictures where I've messed up end up sometimes being my favorite pictures yeah. because I've messed them up. So. Then I'm free to try all those things I would have been scared to try because I might mess up. But, yeah. I, but I already did that. Yeah. So um, they become a lot more abstract, even um, as much as abstract as my art can be. Um, so I'm not afraid about making mistakes. It's kind of why I'm doing it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's such a beautiful temporal nature about making art. Yeah. And everything remains connected, too. And that sort of, you know, a lot of my work features um, or um, examines the interdependence of all living creatures in this universe even. And so to have that work actually exist that way as well, um, the physical work um, is something I, I've just recently like become aware of, like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. this fits in with my big picture idea. Yeah, so no, it does. I mean, you definitely draw by mantra, which is an amazing yeah. thing. Yeah, it's very meditative for me, though. Yeah. My husband, he's a woodworker, so my son says, oh, yeah, my dad, he's a... He, he he works with wood, and my mom, she works with paper. She does paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, yeah, the lesser wood. <laughs> yeah, but paperwork. Yeah. But, I mean, you're taking a single piece of paper, um, correct? Yes, it's just one piece of paper. Now, with more traditional methods uh, of the similar style of work, you know, woodblock, uh, yukio, was it always one piece of whatever the material was, one piece of wood that they were carving, one piece of paper that they were carving? Gosh, um, I studied natural history. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't study art. So sometimes, um, uh, well, there, there are many different traditions of paper cutting yeah. throughout the world that I've only kind of, when I started, I really was inventing the wheel for myself. Like, oh, it actually is um, a person who lives in Brooklyn, Taewon Yu. He said, why don't you try cutting out of paper? Because he went to Cooper Union. Oh, yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know? So he studied art. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll try paper cutting. And uh, and I did it. And it was really the light bulb moment. And, yeah. But I had never seen it before or heard about it. So only later, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's a Chinese tradition and a Japanese yeah. and a Polish. And there's, you know, African and Jewish. And, yeah. You know, it's the German scissor cutting. And um, so it really well, it wasn't only until later that I've. And, and there's many, you know, peop- sometimes people use layers, like a Polish one, or, yeah. or they do a folded cut, like sort of the Mexican style. Um, 
but mine is probably mostly akin to the Japanese style, um, where it's not silhouette. I actually cut the features of the face and the expressions yeah. of the face and the fingernails and hands. Which um, is the Yukio kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Isn't that more like floating world? Yeah, the floating world. <laughs> I don't want to so. expose my <laughs> ignorance too much, but. Um, <laughs> But, you know, in some ways, maybe my world might seem like a floating world to um, this urban landscape that I'm in right now because <laughs> it's pretty magical yeah. and um, trapped inside. Beautiful uh, in Olympia, Washington. Yeah. Um, well, let's actually talk about that, your, your upbringing, where you're from and how that, you know, uh, is a reference point for your work. You were born and raised outside of Olympia, Washington. Yeah, I grew up outside of Seattle. And so I always had um, mountains and water in my view. And I moved to Olympia all the way back in 1986, 25 years ago, and I planted apple trees, and now I'm there. <laughs> and it really has just, I mean, any place really affects your work. You know, it's, it's the air you breathe, the water you drink, you know, on this molecular level, yeah, it, yeah. you are that place. And um, so it, it, it really affects everything I do. And my work is very much... Um, extremely autobiographical and um you know i just make pictures of my world and because i want to record it for myself in this way that a photograph can't it's like this emotional memory that i'm capturing yeah and um it's kind of like what i wish the camera would take a picture yeah. of well so it's funny you mention that because i myself am a photographer oh, right, yeah. and i do not take offense to that at all because i see what you do as more of a slow art you know, like slow food in a sense. Uh, yeah. Because not only are you intentionally uh, making these specific cuts, but how much time do you spend on a single, would you consider it a print? No, it's a paper cut. Uh, a single paper cut. Yeah. Um, though it's it's interesting when people see my original artworks, oftentimes they think it's woodcut because um, it's very subtle, the 3D quality of it. And they're almost like little paper carvings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually give myself about a week. So that's maybe quicker than people think. Um, it's and I'm it's because I'm really impatient. And one of the reasons <laughs> why I do paper cuts is I was doing linoleum carving, but then you have to have everything flip flopped. You know, you have to work in reverse, and then you have to print it yeah. to actually see. And then the thing that you carved and labored, nobody ever sees. Um, you know, it's not like like I actually sell my original work, so. In some ways, not too many people actually see the original work because <laughs> I mostly show at the barber shop yeah. in my in Olympia, Washington. Every first Friday of October, <laughs> you can a... come to the barber shop in Olympia, Washington, and see my artwork. That's awesome. Um, so nobody really sees the original. Oh, but I do have a. There's going to be a 15 year retrospective of my work this summer in Portland, Oregon, oh, at the Museum of Contemporary Craft. So you can see my very first paper cut ever. Yeah. What, what was it? It was a picture of an apple falling from a tree yeah. based on a walk. I walking down to my studio, there was this apple tree and I just gathered apples from it. And Abrams, who put out to market to market, will be putting that book out that I made. It's called Apple and it'll be out in fall of 2012. And it has my very, the first page is the very first paper cut I ever made. That's awesome. It looks like I chewed it, but yeah. it's really sweet and, yeah. <laughs> and charming. It's very Newton of you, too, you know, realizing that there is gravity to yourself and oh your God, work. Oh, God, I never thought of that. And yeah. that's like one of my favorite pictures I've ever made is called Gravity yeah. as well. Um, ooh, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's 
I mean, it's a terrible segue, but using Newton to go back into science. I mean, you didn't go formally to art school for this. Oh, no. No, I was stupid. I uh, had to wake (laughs) up early and go to 8 o'clock lecture and study science while all my art friends got to sleep in. (laughs) (laughs) But I still had to go to the punk rock shows at night and get up at 8. So I studied science um, because mostly because I had... I always wanted to be an artist, and I always told people I was going to be artists, but it was being akin to like wanting to be a princess when I was really little. Yeah. Um, like I, I never met an artist. I always it was this fantasy. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons I actually do travel now and talk to children is because there's another Nikki somewhere there. Yeah. And I want to tell her that it's okay to be an artist and it's possible to be an artist. Um, so I studied science because I thought, oh, yeah, okay, can't be an artist. I'll be something practical, like yeah. a marine biologist. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, I went on this one cruise where they projected plankton on the wall. Yeah. And I thought, I want to be that person who shows kids plankton on the wall. So you were looking at all those little pictures of sea anemone. Yeah, but they were really moving. Oh, yeah. You know, they were alive. Yeah. It was fascinating. But I wanted to be, I wanted to do environmental education. Yeah. And um, so I did a lot of field work where I would study birds in the woods all by myself, you know, very like, okay, you get up way, 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 like two o'clock in the morning, get on a mountain bike, bike up this hill, then unstrap your snowshoes (laughs) and then put them on, even though you've never snowshoed in your life. And then you hike up this hill and you get up to the top and you're 15 minutes late from the time you're supposed to be there for your data collection. And you get up there, and there's giant bear tracks in the snow. And you have a radio that only goes two miles, you know, <laughs> and there's no, nothing except that bear within yeah. two miles. So I realized that, that wasn't the life for me. So um, I decided I would make um, probably have a greater effect using pictures to tell an environmental story. And that's what I've been doing um, subversively. Um, you thought they were just pictures to put in your kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying to tell you something. Yeah. No, I don't think it's subversive at all. I mean, it shows, you know, true intention, but so kind-heartedly and, and, and so uh, open, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and so giving that it's not lectured. It's not heavy-handed at all. Yeah, I don't want to be the person with that finger shaking it at yeah. you. like. Get your act together, people. Yeah. But um, I want you to just say, yeah, we we can get our act together. Let's get our act together. <laughs> yeah. All right. But I mean, at first you were doing scientific or technical drawings. Um, yeah. Uh, and then how did you transition? Uh, because I was reading that when you were doing some drawings on linoleum for a wetlands thing, uh, that you were actually right next to K Studios and that joined you into those forces. Right, that's true. Um, yeah, I made my last project at school was doing linoleum cuts of a wetland book, um, and it, it just was. I, I realized then that like I can make books. Yeah, and I'm re- I'm really good at making books. I like this. I yeah. like all the aspects of bookmaking, from the you know Pantone ink color to the paper, like what kind of paper it is, and the book cover, and all these aspects and. And so here I was also with these people that were making their own creative universe and their own creative economy and seeing that it was possible to be self-employed doing your dream. So I was right next door to Calvin Johnson, who started a record label in his bedroom making cassette tapes. 
and Stella Mars, who traveled around the country with a suitcase, cutting up old National Geographic and making postcards long before any of you other people thought of it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I saw these people able to support themselves yeah. and totally without compromising ever. What was the music scene and who were the bands that were involved in K Records, Kill Rock Stars? Um, well, there was Beat Happening, which is Calvin's band. Um, there was, you know, gosh, lots of Lots yeah. and lots and lots of bands, you know, everything from like Bikini Kill to later Slater Kinney, but also during this whole time, it, there was Nirvana. I lived in the same house. At, you know, I could hear him practicing his guitar on the other side of my wall. You lived in the same house as Kurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was, it, it, you, it just was not really seething it was just vibrating with song yeah. the town and so you yourself as me here i was a scientist up in these woods i just start singing to scare away bears <laughs> um but you just couldn't help but but sing out your story at that time um because it really was resonating everywhere Excellent. We're going to take a quick break and come right back and Great. maybe even get you to do some sung word. No way. <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. food scene on heritageradionetwork.com i'm your host michael harlan turkel here today with nikki mcclure who we just found out lived next to kurt cobain um, oh there's more secrets oh, don't worry so many secrets <laughs> but uh, it was an interesting time not just musically but um with the food scene happening in seattle too uh pacific northwest has always kind of been foremost in you know uh what we think of today as farm to table because it has farms. Right. So accessible. Um, we're, we're sitting here at Roberta's in Brooklyn, and there's a rooftop garden planted above us. But, you know, we, we were talking about your trip to New York and seeing the High Line, and whereas you can look outside the window, um, that sometimes, uh, you know, flora and foliage and all that kind of stuff has to be forced into New York. But it was natural to you, and... These mm-hmm. natural forms that ended up in your work were because they were all around you. Right. And they're also, you know, they're a lot 
of my work is informed by that education. Even though I didn't do art education, I was doing the science education of natural history. I was learning who lived around me, and that was trees and birds and insects, yeah. my neighbors. And so um, all my work features those creatures in, um, in a way that you can identify them. That's an apple tree leaf, not a peach tree leaf. <laughs> and it's a reason why it's an apple tree leaf and not a peach tree leaf. Whereas I think some illustrators just might be like, eh, it's just a leaf is a leaf, leaf, is a leaf yeah. you know. But so um, I do have that level of detail in it. And that idea of growing things, um, my whole yard is edible, just about. Um, though we do have some foxglove growing in it, which makes me always worried because I just really want it just to be so edible. Yeah. <laughs> but, but my son, he really loves foxgloves. So what, what, what's edible in your lawn right now? Oh, well, the whole front yard is strawberries with apple trees planted kind of cover over that with um, lavender as well. And the strawberries, it was hard to leave. They were just about <laughs> being ripe. Yeah. Hopefully the squirrel isn't feasting. And then I've planted probably over 30 trees on my just my regular city lot. Probably 20 of those are fruit-bearing trees. Yeah. And we have raspberries, golden raspberries. Um, just um, I have fava greens growing and garlic and potatoes and tomatoes. Those are kind of... I grow tomatoes mostly because I grow the things that are really expensive to buy. <laughs> yeah. Because I was about to ask, if you have all this growing, why do you go to the farmer's market? Well... Um, why I because I go there to I don't know gosh it's your town hall yeah it's where you go to see people and say oh yeah you know that thing that I need to get you it's 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 my way of interacting yeah. with people um it's my social outlet because I mostly exist in my art cave and um <laughs> so I get to see people and and I also, I barter for a CSA, so I trade art for food. So in some ways, I don't even need to grow anything at all. (laughs) Um, But it's so important for me spiritually, for myself. And then also, I have this six-year-old son. And for him, like, just to see him to, he doesn't even use his hands. He just walks up to the kale, because the kale right now is about six feet tall. It's flowering. He'll just walk up and just bite off kale flowers. (laughs) It's a wonder he doesn't get a bee in his mouth. Um, And he just eats it, and, you know, like, at night when it's bedtime story, and like, okay, go to sleep. I'm hungry. Yeah. like, what do you want? I want some kale. (laughs) So we just can go out and grab him a bouquet of kale and just munch it down. You know, like, that's mainly why I'm growing food is that he has this healthy understanding of how sunlight is turned into energy by these plants to turn into energy into your body and to be conscious of how you're putting that energy into your body and making it quality energy so you can then have output of quality energy into the world as well. If you're eating crap, you're making crap. You know, if you're eating well, you're going to make you're going to do good. You're going to make good crap. Yeah. yeah. Good crap. Nice, healthy crap. <laughs> you know, that's what's so lovely. You're talking about both people and process. You know, your child understanding that there are farmers behind the produce that you eat. Right. Um, but that there, there is process to make those, too. And what was so nice about To Market to Market, uh, without beating it over the head, is that you present these people. You know, uh, there's... A little over half a dozen chapters, in a sense, or topics. Apple, kale, smoked salmon, honey, blueberry turnovers, napkins, and cheese. But each story is introduced by who does this and how they do it 
and then thank you. Right. I really think that that last part, the thank you, is really important. Um, but I really, because the you know these people put in so many hours, and then we go and we buy that three dollar, or maybe it's even more in Brooklyn. Who knows? I'll find out tomorrow <laughs> how much a head of lettuce is. But yeah. um, you know that butterhead lettuce that is. N- n- no bruised leaf whatsoever. And maybe if you're lucky, maybe there's just the slightest little sprinkling of some soil that falls from it. Um, that is so beautiful that I feel that it's not appreciated enough. And that's giving us this energy to live, yeah. this food. And farmers are doing that work for us. And they're not respected enough for that or valued enough or reciprocated enough financially yeah. um, for that service. Um, I just think it's, it's incredible, the gift that they're providing to sustain a community of people. Yeah. And so I really wanted to have that be prominent, that you need to thank the people that make your food. And um, the best way to do that is to know the people that make your food. And um, so part of it, too, the, the book... Um, I just really want that to be um, the feeling at the end. In the end, I think we thank all the creatures and the farmers who made this sustenance um, for us yeah. as well. And all sit at a big communal table. And- yeah, and eat the food. And I didn't want it to be like, oh, you know, have it be like ingredients for anything. So there's just a big bowl of kale, and there's yeah. the smoked salmon, there's the goat cheese, and there's the apple, and then there's the honey, and they all have the napkins on their lap. But we had to use the napkin for the blueberry turnover is why there's napkins. <laughs> yeah. I wanted there to show that there's craftspeople, too, who take care of what yeah. they're doing. Um, and so we just sit down and eat this food, and it's a very nutritious, well-balanced meal. <laughs> that it is. That, I'm, so. I'm going to try to get all those components and have a similar meal yeah. uh, this weekend. Um, but what was also so great, uh, I think, like, Johnny Appleseed did a disservice in that people think... Apples are just made by sprinkling a couple apple seeds oh, yeah, in the yeah. ground. And you, you talk about scions and grafting and pruning and pinching off the little buds during the summer so a perfectly ripe, firm apple is produced in the fall. Right. Um, these things that are often, you know, overlooked. Right, or lost. Yeah. The, those, you know, those are how you make an apple tree. You know, if you planted a Fuji apple seed, you would not get a Fuji apple tree. Yeah. Much like I tell kids, like, we are all different kinds of apples, you know, like those bees just mixed us all up, our pollen, and we ended up all being unique and different, not like either, like exactly like our parents. So how could we make apples exactly like its parent yeah. is only by snipping off a bit of it. So that apple tree is incredible. Those apple trees are still growing. Like you think about how long, like a, you know, some old variety like a northern spy or something yeah like those that scion has been snipped from a tree that was a scion was you know so it's still actually that tree growing even though it might you know you know how many hundreds of years has that been going on by some careful person tending to apple tending to an orchard and that you know that level of skill and care and knowledge um has been not necessarily forgotten but but um, I just I, I, I'm, I'm really I'm so happy that this even though this blip of modern agriculture, you know, compared to the length of the world and the length of like human agriculture, this sense of like, let's uh, spray some fertilizer down this spray. Oh, no. Now now the plants are growing too much and the insects want to eat them. No, let's <laughs> spread some insecticide. Yeah. And, oh, no. Now we need to get this. You know, that has 
been existing for such a relatively short period of time, but we really have screwed things up in that short period of time. I'm really um, I'm excited about the next phase of um, agriculture where, you know, where I'm sitting right now underneath tomato plants growing on a roof in Brooklyn, um, where I'm seeing, you know, shipping containers used to grow food. Um, I'm seeing kids growing food in these urban schoolyard um, garden projects, um, you know, the Victory Garden, like even though it's based on some queer, you know, militaristic uh, notion, um, yay, yeah. that's, like, that's just, I guess seed sales are going, you know, skyrocket, like, yay, all right, recession, like everybody doesn't have enough money, let's grow our own food. Yeah, I think it's great. The only thing that we need to really be watchful for, at least where I am, is urban development is, oh, it just makes my heart break apart when I see um, soil that's rich, incredible topsoil being paved and put like another big box thing or housing even like, why are we, why are we doing that to ourselves, you know? Whereas as charming as a rooftop garden is here, it's because there is no other place to put it because the soil has been eliminated, moved. Right. This, you guys are on an estuary, right? Yeah. Traditionally, those are really great farming soil. Yeah. Um, last time I was in Brooklyn, um, I saw a street being excavated, and underneath, way down below, there was this giant boulder, and it really made me conscious how much of that soil history had been just, you know, eradicated yeah. like, on this level, but it still exists down, but the, that topsoil is what you need with all those little creatures that we can't even see. Yeah magic pixie dust <laughs> well you 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 point those out actually in the kale part of the oh market, yeah yeah to market which was lovely you know because kale went from greenhouse to the ryegrass cover to the bugs and bacteria breaking down uh the ryegrass for food for the plants yeah i got to make a picture of worm poop yeah <laughs> so if you're really into that type of thing yeah uh, you should get to market to market yeah how, how did you uh cut worm poop oh it was yeah a little worm poop you know yeah. we've all seen it yeah. right <laughs> Smoked salmon, um, you know, having the fish net caught, put into the smoker. Well, actually, put into the salt water solution first. Yeah. Then put in the smoker. Um, but my favorite part was all the scraps being thrown back as compost. I'm glad you liked that because they almost cut that out of there. But I was like, no, this is really very important. important. Yeah. And that man, Steve, is his name. Sea Blossom Seafoods. Um, he has the most beautiful vegetable garden, and he grows it for his neighbors. He has his own little tiny farm stand, a little table where people can leave as much as they want for that zucchini and that eggplant. And he actually, he started out as sharecropping and doing, he had a lettuce farm, and he would bring it to market and sell lettuce for 50 cents a head. This is way back when. And one day, he was, it was at the Nisqually River, and there's a Nisqually Indian tribe and they said, hey, we got all this fish. Why don't you go sell it at the market? So he's like, yeah, pile in my truck. And so he drives to the market. He's like, God, I'm going to get some ice and all this stuff. And people say, hey, how much is that fish? How much is that salmon? He's like, a dollar a pound. And within 30 minutes, even way back then, a yeah. dollar a pound was a screaming deal. Um, he had that whole, all the fish was gone. He'd made $500. Oof. And a good day selling lettuce was $50. So he became a fishmonger yeah. at that moment. He's, he was pretty smart. Yeah. Sometimes it's all about the numbers. Yeah, yeah. He was a norm, he went to school to be a bridge engineer. Yeah. So, yeah, numbers. Yeah. It, it shows that, 
you don't necessarily have to go to school for what you want to do. No, no, no. And he is, um, his salmon is really the best I've ever, ever had. I'm going to have to come out to Pacific yeah, Northwest. Yeah, everybody. Have, yeah. Come. These are real people in this book, and this is real food, and it's really good. Napkins, even though not edible, the process that goes into them. Well, you also mentioned that they were necessary for the blueberry turnovers. Right. Um, but the process that goes into it, and who is it, Yuki? Yuki is her name, and she's from Japan, and she does indigo dyeing. So she has these tubs of indigo soup, like they're full of bacteria, and uh, she has to stir them twice a day in the summertime. In the winter, they hibernate. And she really talks of her indigo soup as if it were alive and a creature, yeah. and she wants to keep it happy, so she gives it rice wine. And... Um, you know, it's just the, that craft and that art and that skill. Um, and seeing somebody make something, um, I think, is really important that, you know, you don't have to buy a napkin. You can, you know, you can make one or you could also support somebody's livelihood by their craft, you know. So, yeah, don't overlook the craftspeople. <laughs> no, it's it's a necessary. A lot of the guests I've had on this show are kind of those cogs, those foundations uh, uh, to better food systems Mm -hmm. so it's not just the chef that can execute but it's all the people that have inherently been there supporting and bolstering right right i had her make me a set of napkins as part of this book so i got to write it off um (laughs) but i made them seasonal so like a set of four like for winter of these pine needles and then we did um dandelions and we did cherry blossoms and we did mushrooms yeah um so do you feel akin to her in uh, she does batiking, you know, yeah. the, the wax painting. Yeah. Uh, do you feel akin in your arts sometimes? Yeah. And she actually does stencil printing as yeah. well. So um, as I said before, my my paper cutting is, is most alike to a Japanese style, which they have been doing for hundreds of years to cut stencils to screen print for um, for the indigo dyeing for, to, to print their kimono cloth. So we have that connection. And I have um, several paper cutting friends from Japan. So when they fit they visit we we go and meet yuki and she was always asking me when are, when are you going to have the next party and so <laughs> i told her i was going to have a pickle party yeah. and i had enough cucumbers to make pickles so i'd invite her over to have a pickle party awesome <laughs> well i was actually about to ask you know uh, communal dining you know you have this cast of characters that you interact with do you have them over for meals do you do you do you invite your neighbors do you invite your friends yeah yeah um it used to be a little bit more because now I eat earlier than other people because I have a kid. Um, but yeah, I've always had the adopted bachelor who's always, you know, I'm very spontaneous with my dinner invites. I cook and then 15 minutes before it's ready, I realize I have made three <laughs> times the much, amount yeah. of food. So I start calling people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we're very, you know, picnic. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, very spontaneous. Yeah. And what do you make? Is it just big bowls of kale? Yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> I, I love kale salad where you cut it up fine and yeah. massage a little salt into it and then just maybe throw in some handful of frozen blueberries and some, you know, whatever you have. But, you know, it's I I could eat that all day. Yeah. And um, then um, we also, we have a lot of salmon, so we'll just do that with some salt on it. And I mean, I'm very simple, like... You know, like maybe I would grill asparagus right now. And my son made a fantastic oyster mushroom soup the other day. <laughs> we found oyster mushrooms in the woods. And he put um, cream and 
greens from favas because we have that growing and it was just oh it was divine yeah yeah you're gonna you're gonna have to put that recipe in your next book. Oh, yeah i wrote it down yeah yeah <laughs> he also this is a kid who um one day to me he's like you know mom why don't you make cookies and put um like pieces of chocolate in it and then it'd be like chocolate chips in a cookie because <laughs> he never really he never I, he was three and i had withheld that knowledge from yeah. him <laughs> so he was, he's very creative <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> to think about inventing chocolate chip yeah, cookies. Yeah, he invented chocolate chip cookies. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and now everybody is making them, so maybe now yeah. everybody will make fava green oyster mushroom soup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can only hope we flip the two. But, yeah. I mean, thank you so much for coming into this little shipping container. Oh, well, thank you so much for in- time inviting us. me. I'm yeah. glad it could work out. 15-year retrospective happening in Portland this summer. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Not Maine, but a lovely town as well. Um, book coming out by Abrams next year. Yeah. com. To market, to market. A wonderful book. And uh, have some kale salad. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. See you here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Bye. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. A new film is coming out. It's called American Meat. It's a documentary based on the life of Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms. But it also includes footage from conventional livestock agriculture and processing plants. So you do get a bit more of a um, less biased, shall we say, uh, view of how livestock agriculture works. It makes many of the same arguments, of course, as you would have seen in Food, Inc., so there's nothing especially groundbreaking here, but in this case, the producers claim to be free of a quote-unquote agenda. If you didn't get enough information from Food, Inc., look for this one. Again, it's called American Meat. The website gives no release date, but you can learn a little bit more by Googling just American Meat. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Figure on the Pole and City Winery are proud to present the Summer Barbecue Blowout Festival, August 6th, from noon to 4 p.m. The barbecue is happening at City Winery, located at 155 Varick Street in New York City. Restaurants featured at this event are Empire Mayonnaise, Van Dag, Momofuku Milk Bar, Imperial Number no. 9, Mile End, Mexicu, Kraft, Dizzy's Club, Coca-Cola, The Meatball Shop, and Dos Toros. Providing the soundtrack for the day are Midnight Magic, Pewter Magic, New Villager, Punches, Ducky, DJ Autobot, and the Snacky Tune DJ. VIP and general admission tickets are available at citywinery.com. Finger on the pole for City Winery would like to thank our sponsors. Heritage Foods USA, New York Magazine, Rake of Vodka, Sonar, Smile, Guilt City, Sub-Zero and Wolf. Please come out and join us for a day of fun, food, and dancing. For more information, go to www.fotpnyc.com.